The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and the guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality one topic at a time. This is Increase the Reality with Shane Jones. Welcome, inquirers, to the open-minded talk show that is Inquiries of Our Reality. I'm your connoisseur of peculiar conversation, Shane Jones, as always. And in today's conversation, we deep dive into some of the most fascinating and obscure stories collected by a fellow chronicler of the bazaar. From experiences with Fabians to time slip anomalies, this conversation covers a wide array of topics and will no doubt leave you wanting more. And that being said, also, I'm definitely planning on having this guy on the show to talk even more about this type of stuff, because I always love the open conversations where we start getting into philosophy. They always end up being some of my absolute favorite episodes. But before we get into this great conversation today, uh, some news and updates. Don't forget, today is the very last day that you guys can enter the giveaway to get a 
Bizarre Encounters or Increase of Our Reality t-shirt. Um, I know it said it's supposed to end today, but I'm going to let it wrap out today and then I'll announce the winners tomorrow. Uh, I figured I'd try to get one last little blast out as far as the episode goes. So if anybody's interested in doing that, today is the very last day. So don't forget to go and check out social media to get yourself entered. Or if you guys are interested in the Patreon exclusive giveaway, uh, become a Patreon member, go and like the post that I did for the giveaway, and that'll get you an entry. And uh, those winners will also be announced tomorrow, uh, December 2nd. And I will tag you guys on social media, and hopefully those will get shipped out within the next week or so past that. But again, don't forget to go and check it out if you guys are interested in that. And uh, also, the show that Orn and I are working on, Bizarre Inquiries, which is going to be a freeform 10 to 15 minute uh, open conversation show based around your guys' listener questions, any other bizarre questions that we might want to take in. Uh, you know, it can be serious, it can be funny, it can be whatever. And if we find an interest in having a conversation about it, we will definitely discuss it. And of course, give you guys a shout out in the show for throwing in the question. So if anybody has any of that, don't forget to shoot me an email or you guys can message me on social media. And uh, moving into the front of house stuff. If you guys aren't already following the show on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, or Discord, highly recommend that you do. Uh, the Discord, as I'm always saying, is continuously growing. So if you guys want to pop in and have some awesome conversation with us, uh, it would be awesome. And the only way that's going to continue to keep growing is with your guys' help, of course. And uh, if anybody's interested in being a guest on the show or having me on your show possibly, or you're interested in sponsoring the show in some way, shape, or form, definitely get a hold of me. You guys can do so through social media. Instagram is the one that I'm the most active on, but you guys can also email me at inquiriesofourrealitypodcast at outlook.com, or you guys can go to the link tree, fill the submission form, and that'll go directly to my email, of course. And if anybody has an encounter that they would like to report, be it a weird anomaly, a UFO, uh, extraterrestrial, cryptid, paranormal, anything like that, be it big, be it small, I would absolutely love to hear about it. And you guys can report those encounters to OMMEncounterReports at Outlook.com, or you guys can go to the link tree, and there is a submission form for that also, which is about three tabs down. It says Report an Encounter. Uh, you can find that off of the Inquiries of Our Reality, Bizarre Encounters, and Open Minds Media link trees. And depending on what you guys want to do with the encounter, you could possibly be a guest on the show. Uh, you could be included in the books that I'm working on. Or if you guys just want to share the encounter in general and not have any, it go past me, I would still absolutely love to hear it. And if you're in an area that I can drive to, I would love to investigate some of this stuff. If you guys are interested in having somebody come and investigate, uh, just when you shoot me in the email, we'll have a little bit of back and forth and we'll figure out exactly how you want to go about the story. Or you guys can simply just drop a story and leave it. And uh, if you guys do that, of course, and you guys aren't planning on replying back after, if you guys don't want me to share the story, just make sure you include that because I like to keep everything private that people want to keep want to have kept private. I'm not trying to put anybody's business out there, but regardless, I would absolutely love to hear you guys encounter reports. And if you're not checking out my other show, Bizarre Encounters, highly recommend that you do. Orn and I have a lot of fun over there, deep diving into Bizarre Encounters, as the uh, as the title tends to say. Uh, we do some interviews, of course, mixed in. We also have some other researchers and investigators come on, but it's a really fun show. And if you guys enjoyed this show, I definitely think you guys will enjoy that show. And if you guys want to keep tabs on everything I do all in one place, don't forget to go and follow Open Minds Media across social media. And also the YouTube, TikTok, and Discord are all set up as Open Minds Media, trying to put everything all in one place, make it a little bit easier. But if you guys see Open Minds Media across anything, that's that's me, and it will be pertaining to anything that I'm working on. And if you guys want to support the show, there's a couple different ways to do so. Number one is to become a Patreon member. You'll get things such as ad-free episodes of the show, early access to the show, lives of the show, live replays of the show. Uh, exclusive giveaways, exclusive merch store discounts. And I'm always expanding that. So if anybody has any ideas that they'd like to see included in the Patreon, then uh, definitely let me know. 
And also Bizarre Inquiries will be a Patreon exclusive show. So that's just another little added bonus that you guys are going to get as far as the Patreon goes. And uh, the first couple episodes will probably get posted on the normal feed just so you guys can kind of get a taste of what we're working at. But past that, it will be a Patreon exclusive show. So if you guys want that, don't forget to become Patreon members. And the second way you guys can support the show is through donating to the show directly, which you can do so through Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, or Red Circle, which is the RSS host for the show. And if you guys donate to the show, uh, let me know what you guys donate if it doesn't give you some type of option for a personalized message. And of course, I will give you a shout out in the show, uh, give appreciation or appreciations due, as I always say. And all of that goes back into expanding the show and making it so I can get to more co- more conventions and be able to meet more of you guys, get new pockets of listeners. But it all goes directly into supporting the show. So at the end of the day, at least you guys can say you guys are helping a podcast to grow. And uh, the third way you guys can support the show is through the Open Minds Media Merch Store. There you'll find stuff for Increase of Our Reality, Bizarre Encounters, and any other cryptid design or other weird design I decide to work on. But if there's anything you guys would like to see over there, let me know, and I could definitely work on incorporating it into the merch store in some way, shape, or form. And uh, if you guys are interested in picking anything up from the merch store, don't forget, if you guys become Patreon members, there is exclusive merch store discounts for that merch store. So definitely recommend becoming a Patreon member and then getting yourself something from the merch store. Uh, get make it so you get a little bit more bang for your buck, of course. And uh, the fourth way you guys can support the show is through word of mouth, uh, sharing with friends. It's an awesome way to organically help the show to grow. And you guys can always leave a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify, which I more than appreciate. And if you guys leave five-star reviews, I will read them on the show, give you guys a big shout out. But if you guys don't feel like doing that, that's totally fine too. I just hope that you guys enjoy the show. And uh, if you guys decide to do that, I appreciate it more than you guys will ever know. And uh, while we're talking about supporting creators, don't forget to go and check out Joe at Crypto Theology. He's got endless amounts of awesome cryptid merchandise. Uh, like I say on almost every single show, most of my wardrobe is uh, Joe's designs because he is my absolute favorite as far as cryptid merchandise goes. So definitely go and check him out if you haven't already. And to all my paranormal investigators out there, if you guys want to get yourselves a really, really awesome all-in-one paranormal investigation device, don't forget to go and check out the Chattergeist, which is made by Dimension Devices. Uh, Barry's the guy running all that and programming it. So if you guys have any technical questions about any of it, don't forget to go and hit up Barry. He replies in a very timely manner, and he's a really easy guy to talk to. So, And if you guys end up scooping that, don't forget to go and use my affiliate link. That, of course, helps the show and makes it so that I have a little bit more funding as far as this show goes, because my goal one day is hopefully to be able to do this stuff full-time, uh, produce almost endless content for you guys. But the only way I'm ever going to be able to get there is with your guys' help. So don't forget to support the show and use the affiliate link. And uh, everything that I mentioned is all available in the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, let's get into the show. Please welcome to the show, author and researcher, John Olson. How's it going today? It's great. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. Come talk to you. See, I heard you on a couple other shows. I think it was Into the Fray. Fe- uh, yep, Into the Fray. That's right. Um, yeah, I, he- I heard you on there, and I, I absolutely love the conversation. So I figured you'd be a really fun guy to have on the show and uh, dive into some of your research and books. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it, it's great. I, I always enjoy speaking about the paranormal, and you know, it's, it's what I do, so it's, it's fun. So I appreciate you wanting to come on and talk to me, like inviting me to come talk, so... So uh, I guess a really good spot to start for anybody that might not be familiar with your work or what you do. Uh, once you know a little, let them know a little bit about yourself, uh, a little bit about your work, and exactly what you do. 
Okay. Well, um, I'm an author. I have seven books out. I'm working on my eighth book. And what my books are are all first-person true paranormal stories from all over the world now. Uh, my first couple were just local because that's where I started. What got me really interested in the paranormal is when I was young, when growing up, I grew up in a house that was built in 1883. And it was so it was 100 years old while I was growing up there. And it was very paranormally active. And there was a lot of stuff going on. And because my parents didn't like us talking about it outside of the house, I kind of just kind of dove in to find everything I could and learn everything I could about the paranormal. So I spent years doing that while living in basically a haunted house. And later on, you know, my friends, uh, when I was a teenager, my friends came over to the house and they would have experiences. And I would have to admit, yeah, you know, I, I live in a haunted house. And <laughs> I started, you know, everybody was like, oh, you know, we were at parties or on double dates. And everybody's like, you need to have John tell you stories. And so I would tell them stories of things that had happened to me. And before long, you know, people started bringing me their stories. And from there, by the time I was 17, I was collecting stories and going through. And it uh, kind of snowballed from there. It wasn't until about nine, eight years ago, nine years ago, that I wrote my first book. Um, I had gone through a bunch of stuff and I'd remarried. And um, when I was explaining to my wife what this stack of, you know, stories I had, <laughs> I had to admit, you know, well, this is what what's going on. I collect stories. And, and she was implement, she's like just really great at saying, hey, let me help you. Let's get that, let's get that going. And she helped me with all my books, but once I got the first book out, which was Stranger Bridgerland, um, then, you know, even more people started bringing me their stories and I was able to talk on shows and, and even more people. And so it's kind of snowballed from there. So it's been, it's been a really fun experience from growing up till now, you know, having experiences with the paranormal and also speaking to people from all over about the paranormal and, and just continuing to learn about it. So saying that's awesome that your significant other actually helps with it. Cause it's like, it's kind of a mix. I feel in the community that you either have the significant other that's all about it and wants to keep pushing the work and loves what the other person does, which you and I both seem to have lucked out on that one. And then you have the other side that's like, all right, go to your hobby. And they just have no interest in it, but it's really cool when you can share that stuff. Cause you know, especially when you start getting into this type of stuff, it kind of, it consumes your whole thought process. And it's not just something you can put on hold as like a side hobby. It becomes something that's like, you be, it becomes like part of you in a weird way. So it, it's really cool when you're able to share that with somebody and the snowball effect as far as like having your own experiences and then starting to collect experiences seems to be a pretty uh, common thing for the industry uh, as far as everybody has like a starting point and then that's what sparks their interest. And assumably, um, I'm going to assume that your, your probably favorite topic specifically is the paranormal as in like ghosts and hauntings uh, just based off of like where you kind of started from. Cause it seems like a lot of people, whatever your experience was that kind of started everything seems to be like your main interest. And then obviously you kind of gear into the other stuff too, cause it's just as fascinating, but that always ends up kind of being your uh, semi, your main focal point. Um, I think it's probably what I know the most about for sure. But what's fascinating to me is that as I've gotten going and collecting these stories um there's certain stories that 
either I thought it was a one-off kind of a, you know, really weird kind of story, but one-off, but ended up being a bigger thing because more people came out of the woodwork. And the two that really come to mind when I, when I think about that, which are two topics that I love, but they're also kind of rare are glitches in the matrix, personal glitches in the matrix. Yep. And, um, the, the Faye, believe it or not, that was something that growing up, I never thought, you know, I even in the back of my mind was like, well, you know, that's just fairy tales and uh, everything. But it's amazing how many people that I've interviewed who have actually had an interaction with, you know, those creatures. We call them the Fae, but they can be any number of different, you know, creatures like that. And so those two topics, you know, I love all of the topics. Um, I think those two fascinate me the most right now just because of, you know, um, they're they're kind of rare, but but just really weird. I love the really weird. So <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at too. I'm glad that you brought up both of those because you know obviously I dive everywhere and stuff because I do this show and I also do Bizarre Encounters, which is like my deep dive show. But uh, it seems like that's been two of my main focal points currently uh, that I've been really liking to dive into is glitches in the Matrix and the Face specifically. And it seems like it's one of those things that kind of comes in pockets as far as like the Face goes. That there's like a bunch of encounters that all kind of happened at one period in time. And then there wasn't much for a while. And now it seems like we're back up on somewhat of an upspike that people are having more interactions with the Fae, but that's kind of why it kind of, it fascinates me even more. Uh, but I'd love to dive into some of your stories uh, pertaining to glitches, in the matrix and the Fae. And uh, I'd love to kind of bounce some theories back and forth on them. Cause that's always one of my favorite things to do on the show is to try to figure out what the phenomenon could be. Yeah, I, I, I would love to. It's, you know, it's what's really interesting about, especially the Fae, um, one of the first stories that I got dealing with the Fae was a gentleman who, um, in this area, in northern Utah, I live in northern Utah, um, he, when he was in his 20s, him and his buddy were going to go on a hike and spend the night on this mountain. It's called Mount Naomi. And it is technically just a day hike, but they wanted to go up and spend the night and then come back. Well, at the last minute, his friend canceled, and um, him being in his twenties, you know, when you're when you're young, it's like you're invincible. So he's like, "I'm going to go do it on my own." And in the middle of the night, he's up above the tree line, so there's only scrub brush and piles of rocks, and there was a burn ban because it was in August. It was a dry August, and he went to, he went to bed, just had a bed roll, and he woke up in the middle of the night, and he didn't know what had woken him up and he was you know really kind of a a heavy sleeper so he knew it had to be something and as he's sitting there he gets hit in the chest with a rock about the size of a a quarter not hard just something tossed it at him and then he starts hearing this really weird whistle um and it doesn't sound like a bird and he's not sure what it is that's going on and he's trying to find his headlamp and um and he's looking for his headlamp and he can't find it. And then he all of a sudden he realizes that it's still on his head. He'd fallen asleep with it on his head. So he turned on his headlamp and he looked. And not too far from him is this pile of rocks. And sitting on the pile of rocks is this creature. And when he explained it to me and, and later on I go through the notes and everything, it reminded me a lot of... Um, the goblins in Harry Potter with the pointed nose and, you know, the teeth and kind of um, old, like handmade clothes. 
and but he said it had really big black eyes that was it was covering its hand, his face like this because he had his light on it, and he's kind of in shock, <laughs> which anybody would be at this point. And he said then he noticed that it was sliding something behind its back, and he looked and it was when he when he goes camping when he goes hiking he always brings an old one of his old um, paperback books to read, and. Um, well, this thing had been close enough to steal the the book from him, and that was what it was hiding. And then he realized it had been so close to him that it is it has stole his book. And so he freaks out. He he grabs his stuff, runs towards the trail. You know, crashes at the tra- trail. Uh, when he gets to the trail, scoops up his stuff. He can hear the whistling start again behind him. He freaks out. Runs to his truck and and gets out of there. Well, you know, and and the whole time he keeps reiterating you know i promise i'm not crazy i promise i this really happened to me and and he was very sincere and very scared but you know i i got the story and i wrote the story and i and i thought of it as just kind of a one-off kind of story and what was funny is not too long after that book came out i had a woman email me and she said you know i read that story and i about fell out of my chair she said because my husband had told me when he was a kid that they had been um, hunting in that area and he had seen a creature and she, exactly this same creature. And for years she had just said he was just imagining things or crazy. But the f- fact that he had seen this same creature and that somebody else had seen it, that just kind of reiter- reiterated to me that, you know, this guy, that's what that guy saw. And then it's just funny. I've, I've got about three different people now who said after they read my book, they were shocked because they had seen a very similar creature in that area. And, and they thought they were alone. And, um, but what's funny is it goes along with the native American, uh, Pukwudgie. Mm-hmm. It's got a different name here because for the Shoshone, but back east where you're at, they're called the Pukwudgie. And they're these creatures that live in the forest that the Native Americans talk about that, you know, are really nasty and will steal things and just, you know, kind of nasty little creatures. But that's something I never thought I would get is a story like that when I first started. But it's, it just blows my mind when I get a story like that. I just love it. <laughs> Say ones like that are some of my absolute favorite too. Uh, I've dug a lot into like the Puckwudgies, for example, and uh, I kind of start to wonder too if there, there's like slight different variations, but they all kind of fit into like the little people lore. And I'm kind of curious if it's like different groups completely, but we kind of associate them as the same thing um, because it seems like those ones look a little bit different than like the common depiction of the Puckwudgie. But a lot of these little people depictions are really hard to quite place your thumb on because they vary so much. So it makes me wonder again if it's there's multiple races of these little people that are existing and people are experiencing different groups of them. And we've kind of started to associate them as like the same thing or started to call them under the same name, but they might be different groups completely. And uh, as far as like your research goes, just out of curiosity, I've talked to a lot of people with the Pukwudgies and they say that they kind of have this like spiritual aspect to them as far as like they'll communicate through like spirit boxes. Um, they'll kind of like follow them around. They People have claimed to have seen them like appear and disappear. Uh, 
what's kind of what's kind of your view on them? Have you seen them at least from your encounter stories as being a little bit more physical, or are they just as like spiritual and have just as many of the weird abilities as uh, the ones over over on the east side of the country? Well, it, what's what's kind of strange about the whole thing is um, if you can if you can get um, the Native Americans talk to talk to you because. You know, they're very, this, all of this stuff is very sacred to them, but their explanation for the Pugwaji and for Bigfoot and for all of these, when you say, are they a physical creature or are they a spiritual creature? And they're like, yes, (laughs) (laughs) yes, it's both to them. You know what I mean? It can be physical, but yet it's also a spiritual creature. And so, yeah, it's, I, and and I kind of go along with that in the fact that at times they can be a physical creature, but able to meld into that forest spirit kind of a thing from what I understand when I talk to some people. And so um, it's, and, and it's very hard to explain to people that it can, that how some people believe it's both a spiritual creature and yet a physical creature at times as well. And so, um, you know, and I kind of look at it that way too. Um, because if if they were a physical creature that had houses and stuff like that, for as many people as there are that go in the mountains, especially like um, that go hunting and they're looking for something and they don't find anything like that, and yet they can be there at another time. And it's the same kind of thing with Sasquatch as well, where you know a lot of times it seems like a physical creature and then it can seem to disappear like a spiritual creature. So. Um, and, and along the lines, too, of kind of how you were talking about, are they, you know, they're different and, and across the country, and but a little bit the same. One thing that I found that's just, just blows my mind, and I kind of dove into this after I started getting these stories, how many people around the world who were completely separated from each other, like um, the people in um, Northern Europe, the Native Americans, um, people in Africa and in um, the middle in the East and Middle East who were all separated and really didn't have a lot of communication with each other, but they all seem to have stories about very similar creatures with different names and and just a little bit different attitudes sometimes on them. but it's amazing how many are, are very similar like, you have the Duende in South America, mm-hmm. in Mexico and South America, which I've gotten several stories about them. And their story is very similar to some of the, the house elves or gnomes that um, people in Northern Europe talk about living in their house or on the land and, and how they're connected to them. And um, both, both and, and also going all the way out to the Philippines, which have a very similar creature as well where people who live on farms would actually, you know, leave offerings out to them so that they wouldn't bother them or that they would help them or, and I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but my point is there's got to be something to it. If everybody around the world had very similar stories about very similar creatures in their folklore and history way back, even in before there was written history. Oh, no, I completely agree. You aren't rambling at all, by the way. I enjoy hearing people's opinions on these types of things. And uh, at least as far as as like little people go in general, I often kind of wonder if there's something that kind of mixes with like the time slip concept uh, that we're kind of talking about and starting to touch base on as far as if they're 
it, you only see them at certain times and the reason why there's usually time loss involved if you end up going with them and then coming back like you'll end up being fast forward in the, in the future um, is maybe because they are living in a in a different parallel dimension and there's these random time slips that happen that they pass through and that we sometimes pass through when people go into the Fey world and if there's like a connection between that and even same with like the Sasquatch concept too I've been kind of theorizing and wondering lately too if uh, a lot of the reason why people will see them and then they'll just vanish and disappear is because of of theoretical time slips also and if possibly sometimes they get stuck over here and that's where the breeding populations come from and that's why some of these creatures seem more physical and some seem a little bit more spiritual is because maybe the some in some instances the co- timeline corrects itself and the being goes back to where they're supposed to be from be it if humans in the fey world coming back to this world but then there's other times when the slip doesn't correct itself and now they're now stuck in that other parallel dimension and once they're stuck then you know other ones get stuck it becomes like a breeding population of these things and then that's where you get the mix between like the physical version of them and the non-physical is kind of depending on what side of the time slip they're falling on and i mean even if they are theoretically physically here as far as like the fey goes um i've heard like different folklore stories about uh them almost having like protection spells so to speak over like their particular area in the woods where people get like a really really uncomfortable feeling when they start getting close to it and they won't know why so they'll just turn back but they have these different types of like deterrence or even getting into just the whole idea of possibly like changing people's perceptions and like the whole psychic sasquatch concept um if the fey possess any type of psychic abilities i'm kind of curious if you know maybe they have like a century and if somebody starts getting close to their area if they change that person's perception so that they can walk right past their village and not even see anything because they're blocking it from their line of perception yeah well and something else that happens too and this has happened to me um once before, and I've interviewed several people who've had this experience too. And I'll, I'll show you. My, I'll share my experience. I was up in the mountains, and I was alone, and I was uh, fishing this really small stream that goes up. And I was probably about three miles up this stream, and all of a sudden, I walked into this area, and the sound became muffled. And there was a feeling in the air that I was not wanted in that area and I needed to leave. And just this heavy fear that came over me. And the further I tried, I tried to push through it, but the further along I got, like the worse it got to the point where I finally crossed the stream and then climbed the mountain to get out of this almost like a, it was almost like a fog, but it wasn't a visible fog. It was a fog of fear almost. And once I got up and out of it, then the noises from the crickets and or the and the grasshoppers and the birds and everything came back. But I ended up walking up over a mountain so that I didn't have to go back through that area that day. And I've talked to several people who have run into situations like that where there's nothing that you can physically see, but um, every fiber of your being is telling you you have to leave that right now you've got to leave and so maybe that could be along those lines as well both with maybe sasquatch or or the fey or something that you're in an area and they don't want you to see something they don't want you to what for whatever reason they don't want you to be there and they push you out somehow like that so I mean, even going into like Europe, for example, they have areas where they believe that there's like a fairy village and they'll straight up completely build the highway in a totally different direction up and around that area. So, I mean, even just off of that, I mean, they're 
could definitely be some physical versions of it where people actually know where these things are. And again, even if they do know that that's in the area, there could be still that perception change where they just can't see it or they can't get near it without getting that heavy, uncomfortable feeling, such as like what you got. And even even going into some Sasquatch stuff, you have like the infrared or the uh, infrasound idea that, you know, they are able to theoretically project this like from their voice or from from somewhere off of themselves. So it kind of you'd assumably like kind of take the idea that, you know, if one creature could potentially have that ability that why why couldn't something from the fae potentially have that same ability um i mean it's seen elsewhere in the animal kingdom so who's to say that you know maybe even humans are capable of doing it but we've lost touch on how to do it right yep i i would 100 percent agree with that and i you know i think it goes right along with the fact that you know it, it's interesting when you meet somebody and um you can get a feeling off of that person sometimes like um they could be the nicest person in the world, but you just get creeped out the minute you shake their hand and, and you know, there's something not right there. I don't know. Maybe I'm alone on that, but it's that perception. I think that, um, that our, our, pro- our ancestors probably had that we have stopped working on or, you know, that extra century perception of being able to look at things like that. And, and it's very impossible you know, that not only they have that, but we could possibly have that buried too. So it's, it's really kind of cool. Say so we might not even be aware that we put it out too. Cause I mean, I'm one of those people. I definitely agree with you. I always trust my gut feeling on somebody, even if they're the nicest person presenting themselves, if something feels off, you know, I always follow my gut on that. So, I mean, it might even not even be again, something that, you know, it's an ability that you push out knowingly it just might be that if there's something off about you, it's just other things can sense it. So maybe just, you know, if there's a Sasquatch in the area, if there's a Fey village, like whatever, maybe it's not that they're projecting something necessarily on you. It's just that you know something is off and every fiber in your being is basically telling you to get away from this area because we have ancestral history with these things that we've learned to stay away from them for a reason. So, I mean, it's, it's like instilled in like your biology that, you know, we shouldn't be anywhere near these things because who knows what they might do to us. And I mean, even with like the Sasquatch, for example, I mean, that could also kind of depend on race, I guess you could say, uh, because at least like my grandma was Cherokee and she used to tell me stories about how the Sasquatch would basically, they basically said they were done, uh, dealing with the natives after they started trading with like with the white man. So they had kind of like a, like an understanding between the natives and Sasquatch. So there might not be as much of that instilled fear there, but as far as like white people go, for example, not having that back history with these creatures or beings, um, you know, we could have that instilled fear that it pushes us away from it. And that's something biological for us that a lot of natives might not actually have just because they do have a good history with them. Or at least up to a certain point. Yeah, exactly. I, right up to a certain point, I would definitely agree with that, um, that assessment. And um, again, it's and definitely I would tell people to trust their instincts on things. Um, and even it's funny, even little kids will get, you know, those feelings, and you might not not be, or they might not be aware where they're coming from, but when dealing with other adults and I, I, one thing that just came to mind while we were talking about is the fact that I remember when I was a kid, um, my parents had this gentleman that uh, was their friend and I just got the ickiest feeling around him forever, you know, just icky, icky feeling and gross. 
and um, didn't want anything to do with him. And my parents didn't understand that. But then come to find out later, he was into things that were really bad dealing with kids. And, um, you know, something something was warning me. And so it was good that I, I listened to that. But anyway. Survival instinct. That's what it seems like it is. I mean, at its root, yeah. everything that we learn how to do adaptively is for the sake of survival. So having that gut feeling and knowing that something's off is definitely a survival instinct at its root. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that for sure. So definitely. But uh, cont- continuing on as far as the Faye goes, and I'd love to start touching base as far as uh, the glitches in the Matrix stuff goes, uh, but do you have any other uh, fascinating stories you'd like to share as far as uh, people encountering the Faye? I'm trying to remember those. Like I said, those are those ones are a little bit more rare than a lot of the other stories. It seems like you know ghosts are quite a bit, and then maybe UFOs, and then Bigfoots, then probably a Bigfoot then glitches and then, then the Fay are down there a little ways. But um, one that comes to mind was it's, it was either in my last book or the one before um, there was a, a woman that uh, contacted me and it was, she was telling a story about her mother. So, and her mother was from Mexico. They were both from Mexico, but her mother didn't speak English. So it was through translation that her mother talked to me and gave me this story about when she was young and her brother she had um, several siblings but one brother that was really close in age to him and they used to fight all the time and one day they got they were even at school and were fighting and and got caught by the teacher and they had to stay after school and they were walking home after school along the dirt road to their own their farm and her brother and her had another fight and he ran off and so she She's walking home and all of a sudden she gets hit by a dirt clod. And so she's convinced her brother is hiding in the brush, throwing at, you know, dirt clods at her. So she rushes into the brush to find this little man in this clearing with a dirt clod in his hand. And he um, says, you know, um, leave your brother alone. He's my person. You leave him alone. Stop being mean and, and runs off. And she, freaks out and runs home, tells her mother and her mother explains to her that that is a Duende. Um, and that apparently that one, that Duende felt some sort of loyalty to her brother. And so, um, her brother and, and her agreed not to fight anymore. Her mother made her make some cookies and milk to leave out for the Duende and a note that said, you know, I won't fight. We're not going to fight anymore. I will, you know, I'll be nicer to my brother. And they left it out by the shed. And, um, and so it was interesting to learn that kind of custom and culture, but she was, she was really shocked about it. He was a little, little guy, um, black hair and beard and kind of, you know, handmade clothes and, uh, apparently he was very attached to her brother and so uh, she remembers it very vividly when she was little um this happening so it's, that one that one i thought was pretty cool too especially the fact that you know her parents explained to her what in their culture is a duende and and how they can attach to somebody or a place and um you know to be respectful and it was it was just kind of a cool story I always find it fascinating with the little people stuff that they seem to bounce back and forth. And even one particular uh, type of little person 
uh, they always have this back and forth that sometimes they can be malevolent and other times they can be malevolent. Bu- like it, it's such a weird back and forth. And this whole attachment idea, as far as like little people go too, uh, I've actually uh, exploring with Phil. He's been doing a bunch of investigations in the Huckamuck Swamp, uh, referring to like puckwudgies, and he did. Um, he was basically doing like a line of questioning through a spirit box and he was asking other researchers and investigators uh, like what, what questions they would ask it. And the one that I threw in was are puck able to attach themselves to people because at least from his experiences, he'd moved to like totally different swamps and do investigations there. And he'd have seemed to have like the same interaction and then the whole topic of puck would come up constantly. So I'm glad that you brought that one up because then that is another attachment that I can throw back at him as far as these things actually having that ability, which kind of links into like the more spiritual side of them, I guess, or maybe they're just interested in some person in particular for whatever reason they decide to be. Um, But hopefully if they attach themselves to you, it's for more of a protective thing than it is just because you're fun to mess with. (laughs) Right. And then either one could probably happen you do you don't know maybe it's maybe it's one of those things too where you're walking home and uh, you find that stray kitten and it attaches to you or something and maybe they think of us as just really cute things and they're like oh that's mine you know i'm gonna take <laughs> care of that who knows but <laughs> it's definitely could be so that's pretty cool though yeah and i love those stories they're they're some of my favorites um when I interview people and I'm able to get those stories, it's, um, it's, it's always exciting to get those stories. Cause like I said, they're a little bit more rare than some of the others for sure. See, and I'm, I'm just asking out of curiosity here. It seems like most of the fae lore, when people associate fairies, they think about Europe, but I think that there's just as much in America, but under a totally different name. And obviously we have all these little people which should kind of relate to like the gnomes and like goblins and things like that as far as like fae goes for Europe. Um, but you talk about like the fairies, for example. And I know some people call them fairy lights, but the orbs that people see in the woods, I've been kind of tossing around the idea lately because I've heard people that are connected with Sasquatch uh, who are into the whole interdimensional Sasquatch concept. And they say it's like this idea where they compress themselves into something so that they can travel through parallel dimensions. Um, so they need to be a compressed version. But um, I've kind of wondered if those are the fairies of America. And we have, again, this whole entire same concept of fate lore. It's just under a totally different name. And yet the little people would be associated with the gnomes and everything. And then these uh, lights, the orbs are actually our version of the fairies. Cause a lot of the time, the European right. stuff, when you dig into it, uh, you know, everybody kind of has this idea of what the what the fairies look like as far as like Tinkerbell. But when you start digging into the lore, there are never these cute little creatures that are known for being like tricksters, essentially. Uh, a lot of the times they were seen as like orbs of light. And if you actually saw them up close, they were more like uh, just to relate back to another concept because you're already talking about Harry Potter. But those uh, little blue imp things that were like biting in the first uh, I think it was like the first or second movie. But they're more they're more described more like that than these cute little Tinkerbell fairies. Yeah, exactly. They're they're some of them are really nasty little creatures, and they talk about their teeth and, um, yeah, it's it's much more like that than than like you say Tinkerbell or or something of that nature. So, and you know, it's funny because um, here in where I live in northern Utah, there's a canyon. It's called Logan Canyon. It's right off of Utah State University, and it's amazing how many people I've interviewed who have seen orbs up there. And I'm not talking about just like little orbs either. Some of them are the size of basketballs that 
um, bright glowing orbs uh, that go through the trees. And even a gentleman that I interviewed um, who I put can so many stories. I don't remember which books are what these are in, but uh, he was fishing along the river in the rain and saw this huge orb that looked like lightning. And um, I would have even thought it was a ball lightning, but it seemed to have an intelligence to it. Um, and um, when it recognized him, it came towards him and then ended up just shooting off straight into the air. But there's a, there's an awful lot of, um, you know, large orb lights that are found in that Canyon. And so it makes you wonder, you know, if it is attached to Sasquatch or if it's attached to the Fae or ghosts or, or a combination of all of those things. It's, it's hard to tell, but it's definitely something that's that's very prevalent there. Say, so it seems like it's one of those things that pops up in almost every one of these uh, weird phenomenon type topics. So, I mean, I'm kind of wondering if maybe that is the means, kind of like people kind of theorize with Sasquatch to be able to travel to different worlds, is that you have to compress yourself into something. So then everything, you know, be it. You sometimes aliens, if they're coming interdimensionally, like the interdimensional type aliens, uh, Sasquatch, the Fae, uh, the, even the paranormal, because I mean, assumably they probably have some other parallel dimension in which they kind of reside in. Uh, but again, I wonder if that's like more so the travel means to get from one to the other. And that's why these uh, phenomenon is associated with almost all these topics is because that is the linking thing about how you travel in between. And assumably these things are all coming from different dimensions. But again, there has to be some form of compressing, compressing in order to get through these different areas and almost like leaving your physical self in your physical reality and then moving your spiritual self into these other realities. And then that's where you also get the half physical, half non-physical concept from. Right. So I, I have a story and it, and it goes right along with all of this, um, with, you know, time compression and things like this. And <clears throat> I was contacted by this lady and um, she grew up in Southern Idaho in um, a small town and they were really, they didn't have a lot of money at all. And when she was around, I'm trying to remember, I think it was around 12 years old. Um, it was her birthday um, in, in June or July and she really wanted a puppy, but she didn't think her parents would get it because they didn't have a lot of money. And they got her this puppy and it was just, it was a mutt kind of thing but it was very distinct. It had, um, it, it was black with white, you know, with patches on it and on its chest, it had a white heart kind of thing on it. And, um, she was so excited and she bought it a collar and she taught it some tricks. And, um, I don't remember what the, her, the name of the dog is. I, I, I apologize. It's, it's right at the tip of my tongue, but anyway, um, one of the things they did in August every year as a family was go um, cut down firewood because at wintertime, that's how they supplemented because um, they couldn't always afford um, gas for the furnace. So she, uh, she went with her family and they were cutting wood and she took the dog with her. And um, sometime during the morning, the dog disappeared. And she looked everywhere for that dog and couldn't find it and the family looked for the dog and she even convinced her dad on that next that was on saturday on sunday to go up with her and look for the dog 
and it was it was gone and she was really you know heartbroken and um her parents, you know, trying to explain to her about support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Oh, you know, the woods and animals and coyotes and sometimes things happen. And, um, well, jump forward till she is 16 years old and um, she's got out of having to do wood get wood with the family because of you know all of this but they finally say no you, you know you got to go with me and her dad grabbed her and said you got to go with me and your brother to get wood and so they were up and they happened to be in the same area where she had lost her dog and she was sitting there and her brother and dad were falling a couple dead trees and she was waiting for her turn to go out and knock off the branches and and help haul things and all of a sudden she looked up the road and here comes this dog and it runs up to her, and it's a little black and white dog with a white heart. And she looks, and she looks at the collar, and she had gotten a personalized collar because she saved her money up with the name of the dog. 
and it looks just like her dog. And she asks it to do the couple tricks of sit and dance and whatever, and it does it. And she just scoops the dog up crying, you know, I found my dog, I found my dog. And her dad comes up and he's like, what, what are you doing? And she's like, I found my dog. He's back. And the dad's like, that can't be your dog. That was four years ago. And she's like, nope, he's back. He's back. And so they, you know, they went back home and she showed her mom and her mom's like, you know, that's really weird. She says, let's take it down to the vet on Monday and just have it looked over. And so, but, but she, her mom tells her, don't say anything to the vet about what you think this dog is. And they take it to the vet and the vet looks it over and the dog, the vet's like, well, yeah, you've got about, you know, a really healthy five month old dog and she should grow <laughs> a little bit more, but not much more. And, and she swears to today that was, I think it was back in the seventies or eighties, I believe when she was that age. And she swears up and down that that was her dog. It had the the new call, the same new collar, the same markings. It knew its name. It did the tricks, but it had somehow disappeared and re reappeared uh, five, four or five years later. And she found it in the same area. And she says it grew up, had a litter of puppies, and then I got it fixed. And it lived to be about thirteen years old, and then passed away. But she goes, I know it was the same dog. Nobody's going to convince me that that was not the same dog. And they were up in the middle of nowhere. So it wasn't like somebody followed them or something to release a dog that had the same markings. But I often wonder if that dog didn't wander into something and then wander back out and end up in the same spot, you know, all these years later. It's it's really strange. And she she's She's a very normal person. <laughs> she doesn't even have any other paranormal experiences in her life. But she says, I don't know what happened, but that was my dog that I lost and four, four years later found, and it had not aged at all. So that's a really strange story for you. One of those really, really out there ones that I've been able to collect, but you know, listening to her, I, you know, I found her very believable in her story. So say stuff like that is some of the most fascinating stuff that I come across because there's like a whole scientific component to that, because how often do people set something down and then it just disappears. Then all of a sudden, a couple of years later, it just pops back up out of nowhere. And I mean, I've even heard a couple of weird stories about somebody where they like lost a grape or something. And then all of a sudden, six months later, there was just a fresh grape sitting on the table. And they're like, I haven't had grapes here in a couple of weeks. This doesn't even make any sense. So I've often wondered if there's actually like microscopic wormholes that we're not aware of that we can't see. And they actually contort and twist time without uh, like in thing weird little things like that'll happen. And people just write it off in their mind. And a lot of people just continue on about their day. But I feel like this kind of stuff happens to people regularly that if people started actually paying attention to the phenomenon, then we'd realize that it's, ex it's weirdly extremely common. But I feel like there's a lot of these stories that never get told because somebody just is like, OK, that doesn't make sense. And they just write it off in their mind and then they never think about it again. But particularly with the dog, I mean, that could either be one of these microscopic wormhole kind of theory concepts or some type of time slip concept or just on another weird side of it being that it was in the middle of nowhere you know i often wonder if something if there was fay around if they'll just like take an animal just because hang out with it for a little while and then just give it back like why not <laughs> drop it off yeah 
Yeah. And you know, it's funny because um, some of my experiences that I've written about, about growing up in that house that was really haunted, one of my first memories I remember of something happening that was extremely strange was I had a little um, toy airplane. It was one of the little matchbox airplanes that was a jetliner. It was just small, but made out of metal. And I was playing with it and I set it down on the counter and then turned around to get a drink of water and turned back around and the plane is gone. But in its place is a little metal cap gun. And I picked it up and looked at it and I looked for my plane and I went and remember taking it to my mom and trying to tell her what, what had happened. And she's like, just go play with the cap gun then. But come to find out, I still have that cap gun, which is funny, but it was, it was actually produced in the 1920s. It's a cap gun from the 1920s, <laughs> a little a, like metal, heavy metal one. And, um, so things like that would happen all the time. And then, um, I can't remember how long it was later. I was much older. Um, I remember walking in and my plane was sitting on the counter and me asking everybody where they found my plane and, and everybody's like, what are you talking about? And so, you know, weird things happened like that to me as I was growing up as well. And to other people in my house where, um, w- one time I remember, uh, it was just, it was me and my dad and my little brother that was in the house. It was Saturday morning. Me and my brother had gone downstairs to watch, um, cartoons. Um, and my dad started yelling at us to bring back his shoelaces. And we're like, we're looking at each other because we hadn't, we'd been in the basement all morning and he had gotten a new pair of boots and he had got, got the laces out and turned around to get the scissors to cut the laces free and the laces were gone. He looked all over, yelled at us to bring them back. We didn't take them. And when he finally gave up and went outside on our picnic table, table on the front porch, they were laying on the, on the picnic table outside, which was really strange too, how they got there with, who knows? But things like that happened quite a bit in this house when I was growing up. Say, so I wonder how many people grow up with paranormal experiences and associate them with something that's a little bit more ghostly when it could actually just be a matter of maybe they live in like a weird spot where there's just time slips that happen or like, again, these microscopic wormholes. But uh, I mean, I, it, you have a little bit of both sides as far as like your, your story goes that your plane disappeared and came back, which was the one thing we were talking about where a timeline will possibly correct itself. And then you have the stuff where it just, it gets left over, which would be like the cap gun, for example. So I'm curious if there was somebody living in that house back in the 1920s that lost their cap gun and it disappeared and maybe they were like, Oh, okay, cool a plane. And they played with that for a while. And then that disappeared. And that a lot of the paranormal experiences that you were having at this house was actually just time slips of, different times with people and just to kind of throw in another idea i've heard a few of these kind of different stories where somebody will be sitting on the couch and they'll see a ghost come down the stairs and they'll freak out and run away and then later on in life they'll be coming down the stairs and they'll see a ghost sitting on the couch and they'll freak out and run away and it's like this double-sided thing where from both perspectives you're seeing a ghost but then you realize later on when you put two and two together that you're almost seeing like a time slip of yourself but because you're not seeing it fully manifested it looks more ghostly so then you associate it with a ghostly experience but <laughs> i mean i don't know if you've ever had encounters think, like that but um i think that there was definitely um what what i call a residual haunt that you know there was residual things and then there was interactive things but um those um 
residual things like the footsteps up and down the stairs and the heavy boot steps up and down the stairs could definitely be something like that where you're hearing. I mean, I know it sounds weird, but maybe you're hearing through time where somebody is walking up those stairs, but you know, um, you're hearing it from back then. So that could be an explanation on some of the residual things that, that happened for sure. And then uh, as far as that house goes too, just out of curiosity, did you ever uh, end up seeing any apparitions or anything by chance? Or was it mainly just like objects getting moved and uh, just weird sounds off from the distance? Um, yeah. So I saw, I, I saw what we, we ended up calling the man in the hat is what we called it as kids. Um, because it was a gentleman that um, very tall, skinny guy uh, with a white shirt and overalls um, and a wide-brimmed hat, but we could never see his facial features. Um, the first time I remember seeing him, I'd come home from school. Um, I was in eighth grade or I was eight years old, somewhere in there, and I'd come home and nobody was home yet, so I made myself a sandwich and went and sat on the couch and... Um, I noticed some movement out of the corner of my eye and I looked and he's standing there to the entrance to the front room and he walked in and then sat across from me in the rocking chair and started rocking back and forth. And I remember closing my eyes really tight and counting to 10 and I opened them and he was gone, but the chair was still rocking. So I jumped up and ran outside and waited for my mom to get home. That was the first time I remember seeing the man in the hat and, um, Come to find out later that uh, my mother had seen him quite a bit. And this is what's really interesting about that is several years ago. Um, so this house was in my family back. It was built in 1880, but it had been in my family since the 1920s. And when my grandma passed away, and she only lived a block away from this house where I grew up, and we were cleaning out her house and I came across an old photo album and I was flipping through it. And all of a sudden I came to a picture and here's my house, black and white picture of my house. And this gentleman standing in front of a, a tall, skinny guy with a white shirt and overalls and a wide brimmed hat. And I about fell out of my chair and come to find out he was a great, great uncle that owned it in the 1920s. So uh, we were able to figure out that's who that is that we're seeing is a great, great uncle that owned it back then and his, some of his family. So uh, definitely saw that. And the other thing was whether it was him or not, I'm not sure, but there is a, a ghost in there that's, that loves to play pranks, just loves to um, played a lot of pranks on my son, my oldest son, when he would go see grandma and grandpa because he knew it bothered him the most. <laughs> but did all kinds of things where, um, like growing up, I mean, my whole life I would be somewhere and hear my mother call me to the kitchen and then I would go to the kitchen my mom wouldn't be there and I'd go find her and she'd go, well, no, I didn't call you. and Or hear somebody come in the back door and go in and nobody's there. And the other one that I thought was kind of interesting is about no eight ten years ago ten years ago my dad had knee surgery and he had to sleep in his recliner in the front room and he on multiple occasions he said that he would almost be asleep 
and somebody would do the two fingers in the mouth um, cattle whistle really loud in his ear and he would jump and then he would hear laughter and somebody running off into the <laughs> kitchen and then down in the basement. And and him and my mother were the only ones there at the time. Um, but so there was all kinds of things that went on in that house when I was growing up. Just uh, out of curiosity, um, did you did, did the person end up actually uh, passing away in the house that you're talking about that wore the hat? Or what, do you think it's more of just like something that was left over because of that person spending so much time or enjoying that house so much? Um, I believe he did pass away in the house or, or close to it there. He was living there when he did. Um, I honestly, my belief is that the, the, the spirits are there, that the spirits that are there, because I know there's got to be, you know, more than one of, of course, they just, that was their home. And so they've just stayed there. That's my, my belief is that, you know, they were there and they lived there and they still live there kind of. And so that was one thing somebody's, several people have asked me, you know, why didn't you have the house cleaned or, you know, cleansed or anything? And, and I said, well, I don't think it's necessarily malevolent and it's kind of like their house as well. So that was kind of the feeling we all had. Um, what's what's really interesting, my parents still live there. Both of my parents are currently on hospice, and so we all take turns going and taking care of them, but they won't they don't want to live anywhere but the house. So we've we've made arrangements so that they're taken care of there. But I'll go see my dad and I'll say, you know, hey, how's it going? I and I'll say, Hey, has anybody come to see you today? And he'll be like, yeah, my dad came to see me today. And my grandpa's been gone for 25 years. And I'll say, I'll go, yeah, well, grandpa passed away. And he goes, I know, he still comes and sees me every once in a while. So, and and that's got me into the whole thing with um, people on hospice and, and how they somehow are able to see um, loved ones and loved ones come to see them. And it's really kind of a fascinating thing, but especially in that house because he'll talk about people that he saw that he doesn't know who they are but they walked by and said hi to him in the house and and uh and apparently there's a dog that he had as a kid that comes through every once in a while and and says hi and so it's it's weird for sure but it's fascinating and and, and cool at the same time but you know what do you decide? What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if there's theoretically like warps in reality around where that house is at, um, I mean, it could definitely explain some of the stuff that disappears, reappears, but then it could also partly explain a lot of the paranormal stuff as far as like them being able to pass through that particular spot easier on top of the fact that if people are in hospice, um, that they seem to be like antennas because these things that can come from other realities, uh, seem to like know when people can and can't see them. So they kind of like take the opportunity. So I wonder if it's kind of like a mix that they have like a signal going out to family members that are like, Hey, what's up? This is an easy spot to get through. So how you doing? Uh, and then you have the random passerbys that are like, okay, well, yeah, this is an easy spot. Hey, what's up? You guys can see me. How's it going today? <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think you're right. I, w- I would definitely go along with that. That that would make a lot of sense. So um, it's growing up. There was a lot of things going on, and even to today, there are things going on. I've I've experienced things, like I said, all the way up till um, now, like at the house. So and it's like I said, still my parents still live there, and you know it's been in the family for a long time. So 
it's one thing that I, I did notice though, is I've had a lot of people uh, or close friends that uh, have asked in the past if they could do an investigation. And if my parents were gone on vacation, I said, yeah, sure. You know, come over. And they, it, for some reason, whatever's in that house does not want to perform for anybody. They'll get a few things here or there, but it's almost like they're like, yeah, we're not going to perform for you or something. And which I think is kind of fascinating too, that they're like, no, you know, so they get very few things. And then every once in a while, they'll get something kind of crazy that'll happen. And I've gotten a few EVPs there um, and a few things that um, I, 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 I go out with, you know, especially around uh, Halloween, I'll get invited to go with a lot of groups. I don't go out ghost hunting. That's, you know, necessarily um, my thing, but I'll go out with groups when I'm invited. But um, I've done a few things at the house and gotten some voices and some, some interesting things on my own, but say, uh, as far as the house goes too, I feel like it's, it's one of those things that if there's, if, if they're not angry spirits or angry beings that they'll kind of just sit back and be quiet when people try to investigate them and not try to like show themselves like that. It seems like it's mainly like the angry ones that are doing it. And it's not so much that they're trying to perform, but rather that they're trying to like scare people away from the area. And I mean, that's kind of something I've always wondered as far as paranormal investigations go in general or paranormal paranormal investigations um, is that if too many people go to an area, if the phenomenon will stop happening because they realize that either one, they're not going to scare people away, or if it's not an angry spirit, they're just like, no, I'm not trying to perform for you. So like a lot of these like paranormal trips kind of like throw me off because I kind of I feel like they, if they're not, again, just going to perform for fun, like the more people that investigate the area, the more the area is just going to become less active. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, there's, there is several groups that, um, I talk to and I feel comfortable with because they've helped me when I, in the position I'm in, I've had a lot of people come to me with, with problems in their house. And, um, so I needed some groups that I trusted to maybe go in and, and, help them maybe do an investigation but the ones that i that i that i know and that do it i almost said religiously but you know what i mean anyway they do it all the time they often talk about them needing to go to a place three or four times before they start getting something because oftentimes like you said the ghosts or whatever that's there if they don't trust you know, they're like, somebody's strange here. Why would we talk to you? Why would we do anything? They almost have to start trusting the investigators, and that, that sometimes takes a long time. So it'll be the third or fourth trip before they start getting some real, honest, you know, interesting things. And so that's why I'm a little skeptical when I watch the shows, which are fun to watch, but they go in one night and get a whole pile of you know, stuff. And, and I'm like, well, that's from what I understand, that's not really how it works. It takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and more than one night necessarily to get the, you know, the, the things that they're looking for. But say those shows are always hard too. Cause you know, a lot of people like to talk bad about the shows, but I don't necessarily always think it's necessarily the people that are uh, doing the investigations. I mean, I'm sure there's people that are, they're just trying to get attention, but uh, a lot of the time it's like the producers of the TV show that want something crazy happening on each episode. So they almost kind of get pushed into a position where they have to do stuff like that, but it takes away from like the real research because like you just said, you have to go like 
a couple times before you really start getting anything. So they'll have a lot of investigators that'll want to get it. Well, starter investigators that'll want to get into it. And they'll see these TV shows where crazy stuff's happening all the time. And they'll go to locations and they'll have nothing that happens. And then they'll give up on it too quick without realizing the practice that you see on TV is a lot different than the actual practice of doing it. The stuff on TV is meant to be theatrical. It's not intended to be true investigation and research. Right. Right. Exactly. And, you know, it's just like if you watch a cop show on TV, you know, they solve the crime in an hour. When it's, <laughs> it takes much longer than that to solve a crime. So it's kind of the same thing. They have to shrink it down to a bite size, you know, because honestly, I don't know. I, I can't remember if you've ever been on an investigation or not, but it's the middle of the night. And sometimes you have three or four hours before you don't even, and you don't really hear much or anything. And, you know, it's, it, it's not, I don't want to say it's boring, but it's a lot more boring than what you see on TV. So, yeah, I've been on endless investigations where nothing happens at all. And then you go on another one and it might just be something small. Like you'll hear like a voice off in the distance. Or you'll see something move. And it's like those ones make it all worth it when you actually get to see it yourself in person. Right. But most investigators, you're not seeing all this crazy stuff on TV. It's just little simple things. Then that's what keeps you on searching to learn more about it and to actually start to understand the phenomenon. And I always go back to this idea that, I mean, I feel like there's multiple realities that are existing over the same reality. And I mean, that could explain almost all the phenomenon is it kind of depends on which one you're clocked into more at the time. You know, maybe there's a paranormal reality that's existing over us. And there's one where like the Sasquatch comes from, and there's one where the extraterrestrials come from. And it all just kind of depends on which way your perception or consciousness is shifted at the time depends on which one you kind of tune into where you start having little slight images of their world, which could literally be our world, just different variations of it with different life on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, exactly. I, I would definitely agree with that. It's, the more you're kind of open to it and the more you, you know, don't judge, but kind of view things for how it, how it kind of is, it, it really can open up your, your ideas and, and your, your perception. One thing that, you know, um, because I interview so many people, I, you know, I never judge anybody, you know, even if it's so, something in that in the back of my mind, I might be like, wow, this is, this is one of the craziest stories I've ever heard, but I, I would never judge somebody for it because you just never know. And it's interesting. Not long ago, um, I think the summertime, uh, I was contacted by a lady and she was telling me her story. And um, it was about when she was a little girl and whenever her dad got violent, um, this, this lady would come in and help her hide and sit with her. And, um, and she never knew who the lady was or where she came from. And, and, you know, she's telling me all of this story and everything. And then she stopped in the middle and she's crying and she goes, and I'm like, are you, I'm like, do you need to take a break? Or, and she's like, no, she's like, she's like, it was, she was quiet. And then she's like, do you, do you, do you, do you believe what I'm saying? And I'm like, well, yeah, I believe what you're, I believe your story that you're telling me. And, and she's like, I've never told anybody that I've told very few people this story and the people that I do call me crazy. And, and she was just overwhelmed that somebody would actually listen to her story and not judge her. And that itself was overwhelming to her. So part of my deal as being an investigator is just not judging and, and listening because 
you know, I think people feel comfortable coming to me as well because I've had some experiences of my own as well. So, um, it's, it's, and that goes all the way along with when you're helping somebody with an, with a paranormal investigation or you're looking for something or, you know, being open to it and, and a lot more of the world will open up to you is what I was trying to get at. Oh yeah, definitely. And I mean, I feel like half the battle too, as far as like taking in encounter stories is you have to learn psychology at least a little bit as far as, you know, a story can sound completely just off the wall, you know, out there. Um, I'm trying not to use the word crazy by any means because I don't want that bad connotation as far as people people's encounter stories go. Uh, but if you read that person and their hints on like what they're trying to lay down, like they're how they're physically like presenting themselves, um, I feel like that goes a long way because then you can hear just the most out there story and know somebody's completely telling the truth by them getting upset by it possibly or them not want or having trouble bringing up certain parts or again just having somebody actually believe them to the point where they're starting to get act you know visually upset by it like that shows the, like the validity to a lot of these experiences and you know at least a lot of people who listen to podcasts you don't necessarily start to pick that up um when you're listening to people's stories but i mean i feel like it's a it's a really important thing to be able to do because then you can kind of deteriorate and no matter what even if you believe in it or not of course you don't want to make anybody feel bad so you just sit back and you listen no matter what but at least when you go home at the end of the day if you understand their visual um tells then you know how much validity you can put into the story and actually be able to actively research it. And a lot of these like weird off the wall stories that people don't think anybody's going to believe, uh, you start digging into folklore in the area. And a lot of the time it's shocking what you'll find. You'll hear about these like random one off like native stories or like stories from settlers, um, about experiencing almost the same thing to a T. And sometimes they're so abstract and off the wall that a lot of these people sharing these encounters, you know, they don't actually dive into these topics. They just had their one weird experience and they left it alone at that. And you'll find this obscure piece of folklore that completely ties in with it that you know that they knew nothing about. And you're like, wow, here's a connecting piece. Like it just takes people sharing those encounters. And then it sometimes it'll bring back history and bring back folklore. So not only are they sharing their encounter, which is a good thing to do for them in general and for us to be able to keep researching, but it also will help to bring stuff back from the past that could may have even been completely forgotten about if somebody didn't share a more recent story of it. You know, and, and it's funny that you mentioned that because one thing that just jumps right out in my mind, um, I interviewed this gentleman who told a story about when they were, when he was little and they used to go camping as an extended family. And one time they were all the cousins and, and the people from the camp, the little kids were playing and he had a cousin that, uh, was a couple years older than him that he really looked up to. And they were all playing and they decided to play hide and seek. Well, he was supposed to go find them and he'd found a couple of them. And then he noticed his cousin was away from camp near this Canyon and he's waving for him to, to follow him. So he walked over to the tree where his cousin was and now his cousin's gone and his cousin's now further up the trail and waving for him to follow. And so this goes on for a way for a while until he realizes he's up this canyon a long ways and he's a long ways from camp. And he yells at his cousin, we got to go back. We're not supposed to leave. And his cousin's still waving him on. And he just finally turns and runs back to camp only to find his cousin sitting at the campfire, eating a, a hot dog that, and his mother's like, where have you been? 
And he's like, well, I was following him up the canyon. And, and he looks and his mother's like, he was hiding under the trailer while you were looking for him. He's been here the whole time. And uh, I called that, uh, I entitled it, Not My Cousin. And again, I thought this was kind of just a one-off kind of creepy, cool story. And when I published that in one of my books, it was like somebody turned on a faucet with the number of people that came to me and had that very same experience where either a cousin or a, or a family member that they looked up to when they were kids, something mimicked them to try and draw them into either the forest or abandoned buildings or away from other people. And, and they, their whole thing thought it happened to them, but they thought they were alone. And then they read that story and they were like, and which was funny because even in that same area up, up uh, in that Canyon, I ended up with two people who had had the same experience in the general area there. And then, so that got me into looking to the research and everything. And in Alaska, there's a tribe that has um, a creature that they talk about specifically that does that very thing. It mimics family members to draw you off into the forest and do whatever it's going to do to you. And so, like you said, just like that, one story led to another, led to folklore and a history of this creature that actually does it. And so it's when something like that connects for me and just, I, I, I love it cause it's, it validates everybody else who had that story. And then now it's connected to a history and a folklore that I didn't even know about. So yeah, those are did anybody else. Those ones are always the absolute best. And at least as far as that goes, I know a lot of people associate those types of experiences, some some with Sasquatch, some with the Fae, um, but I feel like it's something a lot more evil than that because, assumably, the reason for it isn't necessarily just for fun to mess with somebody. Because, like I said, most things I feel are adaptive through survival and through some form of survival. And when it comes to things like that, I kind of get the alpha or the uh, apex predator idea from it, that it's almost like uh, the anglerfish kind of concept, that it kind of dangles something right here and gets you to run towards it. And that's the best way for it to be able to ambush you is when you completely come out to its territory and it doesn't actually have to try to hide anywhere to necessarily ambush you. You'll come right into its lap and then it can get you from there. So assumably anything that it can do this type of type of thing would use whatever it's trying to lure as some sort of food. I don't see them just doing it for fun necessarily. Um, so again, I always kind of associate it with something dark and I know most people associate it with the Fae or Sasquatch, but I've always felt like it was something beyond that. And that's just the most, the, the thing that most people reason it to be. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. What, whatever it's, ideal is or whatever it wants to do it is definitely nefarious for sure and the fact that there's so many people that have experienced it and not followed to the final trap i guess you did say makes me think and wonder how many people throughout when you know throughout time have have not stopped they've gone that too far and now they're you know what happened to them kind of a deal so it's, it's scary for sure, especially when I think about all the time as a kid I spent as a teenager alone in the mountains fishing and hiking. And, and I'm like, I don't think I would do that now for sure. After <laughs> everything I've learned, I'm not going up there alone. So, 
And there's a lot of people that go missing in general. I mean, most people associate it with like missing 411 cases because obviously there's like the weird little clues that are left, like the shoes and folded clothes. But just on average, there's so many people that go missing every single day that don't really get reported. They just get added onto a database and that's about the end of it. So it makes you wonder like how many people could go missing from phenomenon like this and kind of digging into partly like the vampire kind of concept about there being something that's close to a human, but it's a apex predator of humans. It seems like this would kind of be something that is, is associated along those lines that I feel like, uh, the whole vampire folklore, I think, is kind of a mix of multiple things, but I feel like the root of it is an apex predator that is human-like, and maybe some of the human likeness would be that they can call to people in a different voice and lure them in, and again, maybe there's a lot of these creatures around, these beings around, and people just don't notice it because everything just kind of gets blended in with missing people. And if no parts are ever found, then it's always going to stay a missing person. It's not going to be considered a murder case at that point. So it just kind of gets lost in time because maybe there isn't anything left over by the time this thing's done with it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's areas like something that's, that's always kind of got me thinking and, and I've tried to do some research into it uh, because it just, it just smells bad to me. I, I, is there's a section in Idaho not too far from me um, where it's probably about 50 miles square where an absurd a number of teenage kids disappear, like just disappear. And this isn't in the wilderness. This is just all kinds of kids. And some of them you can attribute to runaway and some you can attribute to this and that and the other. But there's a lot of them you just, just makes no sense. And it's and it's just such an absurd number of kids that go missing. It it just makes me wonder what in the crap is going on in that area. And I think there's clumps of those areas all over the country. And like you say, um, a lot of times, especially if it's the teenagers, they'll just kind of be like, "Oh, it's a runaway thing," or you know. And they, they like you say, they get thrown into a pile. And um, it just seems like some of it is. It's just something really evil involved with there. It's just, I, I don't, I, there's nothing more than I can tell you than other than the fact that there's an absurd amount of them that go missing and just my feeling about it. There's something wrong there. <laughs> there's something rotten in Denmark is they, the old saying would go, something's not right, but yeah. So it just makes you wonder for sure um, what's going on with all those missing people. Saying it's double-sided as far as the missing people go because there are there could theoretically be actual quote monsters out there, but there is also the other side of human monsters as far as just trafficking in general goes. Again, if no trace is ever found, it's always missed marked as a missing person. And if these people are getting trafficked, you know, they're getting held up somewhere uh, where nobody is going to see them again. They're never going to see the light of day. So these mixing ca person cases are mixed between people that are just getting abducted and trafficked and the other side of it, that there could literally be creatures that are not leaving a trace of them after, but both ways, just two different variations of monsters, all the same. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm a big uh, fan of David Pilates books. I've, I've read all of them and one that stands out in my mind. And this was down in, I believe it was in Georgia, um, four gentlemen uh, that were walking along the road and the guy behind, and it's just fields and, and stuff on this side and the road and their car had broken down or something. And the four of them were in a line 
and they called out to ask the guy in the back a question and he's gone. And they go back and all the searchers found was the change in his pocket, almost as if he'd been picked up and dumped, you know, dumped the, the change in his wallet out of his pocket and he was gone. It was not, I mean, and he was literally behind his friends. There's absolutely no explanation for that. There's just some, so many weird things like that, that just, it makes you scratch your head and wonder what in the heck is going on. Not to make any type of like accusations towards what could have theoretically happened, but I mean, even beyond him getting theoretically lifted upside down, I mean, that could go into obviously the extraterrestrial concept of it. But again, going back into the apex predator concept, you know, if something pops out of the woods, theoretically like covers his mouth and then drags him off you know, the loose remnants in his, in his pocket could have easily been dumped. And you see this kind of stuff in horror movies all the time. I mean, there might be a root of truth to that, that there are these things that are able to just follow behind a group and just basically pick people off from the back one by one. And I mean, that could explain a lot of the missing cases as far as like groups of people going missing. Cause you know, you hear about that constantly and it'll be that they seem to leave traces of where their last steps were in totally different areas. And it seems like it was just something was picking them off one by one. If you start really looking at the finite details of it. Yeah. And I interviewed, I interviewed a gentleman uh, for one of my stories and he actually drove me up to this area in his Jeep um, he, he'd gone for a ride. He goes for a ride a lot in the mountains in his Jeep. And he went up there and he was just sitting, having some lunch in this, this, in the trees. And it's kind of darker right along there. But, um, he said, all of a sudden something ran down the path and in front of his Jeep and then into the trees and disappeared. And I said, well, what do you mean something? And he goes, it was on two feet. And he goes, but. And he was having a hard time explaining what what he saw. And then he was finally like, well, have you ever seen that movie Predator when it's cloaked and it's just kind of um, a shady, you know, a, kind of like glistening? And I said, yeah. And he said, it looked just like that. And it ran down the path right in front of my Jeep, down, over, and then disappeared. He said it was really tall and and it was just shimmery like the 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 predator from predator. And so, and he was very sincere, this guy. And when he was telling the story, like you're talking about, he was transported right back there and was feeling that fear again. And so, um, yeah, there's some weird things going on out there. And that I thought was really strange because it even looked like the predator when it ran past him, whatever it was. So, well, See, I had uh, Lon Strickler on not too long ago, and this came up in conversation with him too. And he said at one point he talked to the writers of Predator and asked them like where they got that concept from. And he said they're very like dodgy and shady about it. Like, oh, I don't know. Like, don't worry about it kind of a thing. So, I mean, even just in Predator, I feel like it's either two sides of something that if there is a weird phenomenon happening, they'll hide it in a movie so that people associate it with a movie and then they'll see it as fiction or on the other side of it that they may not realize that they're actually doing is they're giving people a standard of reference for something. So, I mean, kind of depending on who's writing the script, I guess it could be seen two ways that either when you see stuff like this, that's seen in movies, it's either deterring away from it or it's just trying to give a basis for people to actually be able to explain some encounters. And they're just trying to, trying to slide it in there. But just the fact that the guys who uh, wrote predator were so dodgy and weird about it kind of brings some other validity to it 
as far as maybe some creatures potentially having these abilities and i mean maybe even the government having some type of like suits that are developed where essentially they're like an invisible cloak yeah yeah it is it's kind of weird the way that sometimes art mimics um life and life mimics art and like you say whether it's on purpose or whether it was on accident who knows (laughs) that's funny so uh i know you said you had till about uh about an hour and a half or so so kind of starting to wrap it up a little bit and of course i'd love to have you back on in the future because this has been an absolutely uh, wonderful conversation uh but as far as uh, before we start wrapping everything up i always like to do words of wisdom from the guests to the listeners so uh, if there's any words of wisdom that you could bestow on the listeners what might it be I think the, the, the best thing I could come up with after our talk is trust your gut. Whatever in, wherever you are, trust your gut. That's what I would say for sure. And I can definitely stand behind that one. I know that I definitely portray that message frequently. So absolutely love it. Some great words of wisdom to leave everybody on as far as we got a little bit dark towards the end, getting to some weird stuff. But if you trust your gut, maybe it'll save you from all of those things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, for anybody that enjoyed the conversation, uh, they want to come and find your books. Uh, maybe they even want to possibly share some of their encounters with you. Uh, where can everybody come and find you at? And where can everybody come and find your books at? So you can reach me at strangerbridgerland.com. Uh, that you can find all the information about me and how to contact me if you have a story or um, other ways to find my books. You can find all my books on Amazon under uh, Stranger Bridgerland book series. Uh, seven books now and an eighth coming out next year. And um, those are um, softback or Kindle. And I do have a few on Audible. I eventually will get them all there, I'm hoping. so. Um, but that's the best place to reach me and to find my books uh, on strangerbridgeland.com. And of course, all the listeners, I'll include that down in the uh, show description so you guys can come and find it quick and easy. And uh, I thank you for coming on to the show and having this awesome conversation with me. And I'm really looking forward to setting something up and being able to do this again, hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Anytime, let me know. So, If you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, Definitely appreciate it if you do. Or you guys can always share the show through word of mouth. And uh, all of that will continue to help the show to grow. And the only way it's ever going to happen is with your guys' help. So don't forget to support not just this show, but any podcast that you guys enjoy. Because the only way we're going to be able to stick around is with your guys' help. And if anybody has an encounter that they'd like to report, don't forget I have the exclusive encounter email set up now, which is ommencounterreports at outlook.com. Or you guys know the link tree, and there is a submission form for that, which is about three tabs down. Uh, Any encounters that you guys want to report, uh, I guess we'll have some back and forth once it happens, but I can keep it to myself. I can share it on the show. Uh, You could possibly be a guest on the show. Uh, You might even get featured in some of the books that I'm working on, or maybe I could even come and investigate it depending on where you're living at. But don't forget to report any encounter that you guys might have, be it small or big. I would absolutely love to hear about it. And if you guys want to get a hold of me for any other reason whatsoever, you guys can always get a hold of me through inquiries of our reality podcast at outlook.com or through social media, or you guys can go to the link tree, fill the submission form, and that will go directly to my email. And uh, I do respond to every single message that I get. So make sure you guys check your spam and junk folders, make sure not gets missed in the process because more often than not, it seems like a lot of my messages tend to go that way. And uh, everything that I mentioned is all available on the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, Hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.